All right, friends, thanks so much for joining us for worship today. If you've got a Bible, I want you to grab it and turn with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews and find the 12th chapter and just hold that ready for a moment. This is the fifth and the final week of our Blind Spots series. This entire series has been about identifying different weaknesses or faults or flaws that can sometimes creep into the different parts of our lives in ways that we don't always notice because we've got a blind spot. And as I've mentioned to you before, the Bible really acknowledges this reality. One verse that I've used to illustrate this truth is Psalm 19 and verse 12, where David writes these words. He says, who can discern his errors, forgive my hidden faults. And so we see David acknowledging that this is a reality, that blind spots can be a reality on some level for all of us. We all have hidden sins in our lives. The Hebrew word that David uses for faults there literally means sins. And listen, this is a big deal because of the danger it poses to our spiritual lives. When I was first putting this blind spot series together, my mind went to a passage in 1 John or a verse in 1 John, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, where John writes and says, if we claim to be without sin, note this, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, What's that verse saying? Well, it's saying that from a spiritual perspective, we don't, as believers, we don't have the luxury of living with blind spots related to sin because those blind spots jeopardize the credibility of our faith. Now, so far as we've been through this blind spot series, we've talked about the blind spot of fear and anxiety. We've talked about the blind spot of idolatry. We've talked about how there can be blind spots sometimes in our families. And last week we talked about the blind spot of listening. Uh, to be more specific, the blind spot that can sometimes be in our lives when it comes to listening to advice. Well, we're going to conclude this week by talking about how easy it is to sometimes have a blind spot in our lives with regard to our faith. And what I'm talking about specifically is with regard to having a durable faith. The idea behind a durable faith is a faith that endures, that is enduring, that is long lasting. And here's the reason why I chose this topic and here's the reason why I made it the final part of our series. Over my years in ministry, I have simply seen too many people who embrace faith and talk about faith when everything in their life is good, but walk away from that faith whenever there is some kind of a trial or a challenge or a loss that comes into their life. And that's what we want to make sure that we avoid. Do you remember Jesus's parable of the sower in Matthew 13? It's one of his most well-known parables. Jesus talked about a farmer who went out one day to sow seeds. And he said that the seed fell on four different kinds of soil. It fell on hard soil, shallow soil, crowded soil, and good soil. But in the end, only the good soil produced an abundant or a lasting crop. A little bit later, Jesus explained that parable to his disciples, and he said that the seed represented the message of the kingdom, or in other words, the word of God, and the soil represented basically the human heart. And so here's the question. Why did only one type of soil, what Jesus called good soil, produce an abundant or a lasting crop? Well, the answer is, because all the other types of soil, all the other types of hearts that the seed or the Word of God fell on had challenges that couldn't be overcome. And this, quite frankly, is what I've seen over the years in the lives of many professing, professing Christians. They have faith 
only as long as there are no challenges in or to their lives. But what we need, what God is looking for, is a durable, enduring, long-lasting faith that overcomes the many different challenges of life. And that brings us to Hebrews chapter 12. And so if you've got your Bibles open there, I want you just to follow along with me as I read just the first two verses. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 read like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, there it is. We always ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. I believe those two verses give us what we might call the keys for developing a durable faith that can withstand any challenge that might come our way. And so if you're someone who likes to take notes, I want you to write down next to number one, the first key. The first key that we notice in these two verses is this. We want to have a durable faith. We need to focus on the example of those who have gone before. Focus on the example of those who have gone before. I go back to the very first part of verse 1 that says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, I've told you this before, and I'm sure it's something you remember. Whenever you see the word therefore in your Bible, you just need to know that it's a bridge that connects you with whatever has just been written. And in this case, it's a bridge here in Rome, or Hebrews chapter 12 that takes us back to the entire 11th chapter of Hebrews, which is the single greatest chapter in the Bible when it comes to faith. In fact, the chapter begins with a very definition of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then from there, what we have in Hebrews chapter 11 is just Example after example of men and women who live their lives by faith. In fact, the entire 11th chapter of Hebrews can be summarized by those two words, by faith. You read about Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. You read about Moses and Rahab, Gideon, Samson, David, and Samuel. And then there are unnamed people in Hebrews chapter 11 that we recognize by the description of their lives. For example, you read something like this, men who shut the mouth of lions. We know that's a reference to Daniel. Men who quench the fury of flames. We know that's a reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then there are people who are referenced that are unnamed that are described as having suffered horrific levels of persecution because of their faith. Let me give you just a brief example. I'm going to read Hebrews 11, verses 36 through 38. It says, some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Verse 38 says, The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These are the people that the Hebrew writer calls a great cloud of witnesses in the first part of our text, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. He writes, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. 
Every single person named and unnamed in Hebrews 11 are witnesses to the power of living by faith, living by a durable faith. And so what the Hebrew writer is telling us as we read chapter 12, verse 1, is that one way to develop a durable faith is to recognize and be inspired by the powerful and courageous God-honoring lives of people who went before us, people who no matter what they faced remain faithful to God in their lives to the very end of their lives. And you know, here's one of the things that I love the most about this list of witnesses that we have all throughout Hebrews chapter 11. They are all very relatable to each and every one of us because none of them are perfect. In fact, some of them had some significant flaws in their lives. Abraham is listed in Hebrews 11, but he disobeyed God by not believing in his promise. Moses is listed, but Moses was not perfect. Moses was a murderer who had to spend 40 years in virtual isolation before God could use him. Jacob was a liar. It would have been difficult to trust Jacob in almost every situation. Rahab was a prostitute. And then there's a reference to David in Hebrews chapter 11. I don't have time to talk about all the mistakes David made in his life. But here they are, along with so many other people in what we might call God's hall of fame of faith here in Hebrews chapter 11, because all of them overcame all of the failures and the trials and the tragedies and the struggles of their lives, and they did it by having a durable faith. And so one of the strongest motivators for a durable faith in our lives is remembering and being inspired by the faith of others who have gone before us. I can remember many years ago reading the story of how in 1531 a man named Thomas Bilney was burned at the stake simply because he had the conviction that every single person should be able to read the scriptures, read the Bible for themselves. Watching in the crowd that day was a man named Hugh Latimer. Latimer looked at Bilney, who died a martyr's death, and decided he wanted to find out more about whatever it was that this man was willing to die for. And as a result, he investigated the Christian faith and became a Christian himself, eventually becoming an influential preacher and chaplain in London. But when Mary Tudor, also known as Bloody Mary, became Queen of England, he became one of many Christians who were martyred for their faith. In fact, he, along with a man named Nicholas Ridley, were burned at the stake just like Thomas Bilney was. As they were dying, it's reported that Latimer looked at Ridley and said these words, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley. Today we shall light a flame in England that no one will be able to put out. Well, that begs the question, where do you think Hugh Latimer got that kind of courage? And while I'm sure there are many answers to that question, I believe you could make the case that he got it from remembering the courage of Thomas Bilney, who he had watched die a similar death as a martyr so many years before. Listen, friends, if we had the time today, I could tell you stories about many, many men and women that have modeled a durable faith for me over the years going all the way back to when I was just a boy growing up in a small church on the west side of Tulsa, Oklahoma, I can still name the names and see the faces of some of those men and women. And it's been that way for me my entire life. It started in that church, but it's been that way for me in every church that I've been a part of, including this church today. And when I have suffered in my life, 
I remember people who suffered but remained faithful in their lives. And when I've experienced loss in my life, I remember people who experienced loss in their lives, oftentimes much greater loss than anything I had ever experienced, and yet they remain faithful in their lives. When I have wanted to give up and I wanted to quit and live an easier life, I remember people who overcame great trials in their own lives because of their durable faith. And I would imagine that all of you listening to me could say the same thing. One of the best ways to develop and live out a durable faith in our lives is to remember the durable faith in the lives of others who have gone before us. And it's almost as if we decide that we're going to stand on their shoulders and let them be the foundation of our durable faith, or at least a portion of the foundation of our durable faith, our memories of them and the example they set. Let me give you a second key that's found in this text for living out a durable faith. Write down next to number two these words. Let the struggle make you strong. I'm going to go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. I want you to look back there with me. This chapter, our passage begins with these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's what we just talked about. The writer goes on to say, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, to fully understand this, we need to remember that the Hebrew writer is using the illustration of running to make his overall point here in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. In fact, remember the entire text says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and here it is, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so the Hebrew writer is using the illustration of running a race. And so when we remember that and we look at these words in that context, in the context of running, it makes sense that we would get rid of anything that might hold us back or slow us down. And in our text, the writer describes that there in verse 1 as two separate things. First, he talks about everything that hinders. The word that he uses for hinders in the original language is the Greek word onkos. And literally it means weight or burden or encumbrance. Now, once again, it makes sense when you look at this in the context of running that if you were a runner running a race, you wouldn't want to be carrying any extra weight or any extra burden that would slow you down or ultimately threaten your ability to finish. And yet, when we look at the Christian life from the perspective of running a race, an illustration that we honestly see all throughout the New Testament, the truth is a lot of us are carrying around things that weigh us down primarily by diverting our attention. And here's the deal. A lot of the time, the things that weigh us down are not necessarily bad things. They're just things that we've given too much of our time and our attention and our affection to. And the result is they weigh us down and keep us from focusing on that life of enduring and durable faith. We talked a little bit about this when we had our blind spots message on idolatry. I doubt any of us have a problem with idolatry from the traditional sense. In other words, we're not worshiping graven images or statues. At the same time, though, what about the things in the world that in and of themselves may not be bad, but 
because we've given them more time and more attention than we do our spiritual lives, they really hinder us in our race of faith, our life of faith. Some of us need to be honest and admit that we have those kinds of things in our lives and that they weigh us down and hold us back as we run the race of faith. Second, the Hebrew writer talks about, and the sin that so easily entangles. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. And then he goes on to say, and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, this is bad because sin is an even greater distraction to living a life of faith than the lesser things of the world that sometimes weigh us down by distracting us, by taking our attention away from our faith. And I want to make sure that we all understand exactly what the Hebrew writer is saying here when he talks about, and the sin that so easily entangles. Because of the grammatical structure of these words in the original language, what we need to understand is the Hebrew writer isn't talking about just sin in general. He's talking about a very specific sin. He's talking about a particular sin. He says, let us throw off everything that's, that hinders and, note this, note the singular emphasis here, and the sin that so easily entangles. And so in other words, what's that one sin that entangles us as we try to live a life of faith, as we try to run a race of faith, as we try to have a durable faith? Well, honestly, there's no way that I can answer that question for the thousands of people that are going to be watching this message. We all have to answer that for ourselves. But if you're like me, you're probably thinking, one sin? How do I identify one sin? I got too many to choose from. So let me try to help narrow it down for you and, and for me in the context of a message about durable faith, about having a durable faith. Let me ask you this question. What's the one sin in your life that contradicts or negates your faith more than anything else? For some, it might be anxiety or worry. Those are certainly not things that come from faith. Those are things that aren't conducive to faith. The Bible says in the book of Romans, anything that doesn't come from faith is sin, and anxiety and worry don't come from faith, and so they, they negate or contradict our faith. For some, it might be fear, and I'm not talking about healthy fear. We all have healthy fear. We all need healthy fear in our lives because that keeps us safe. I'm talking about irrational fear that enslaves us and, and makes us forget all about God, the power of God, the presence of God, the providence of God, the protection of God, and on and on and on. So we all need to ask ourselves this question, what's the one sin in my life that negates or contradicts my faith more than anything else? And when we answer that question, we need to deal with that sin. We need to deal with it through repentance and confession, turning away from it and turning to God. Now, I could go on talking about this for a long time, but I need to finish the point. When I read these words, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, I'm reminded, I'm reminded that the Christian life is a struggle. It's a struggle to not get overly distracted by the lesser things of the world, overly distracted to the point where 
the things of the world weigh us down with regard to running a race of faith, of durable faith. And it's a struggle to not let sin, whatever that specific sin is that contradicts or negates our faith, not weigh us down and slow us down when it comes to having a durable faith. But what I want you to understand is that struggle doesn't have to be bad, not if we allow it to have the opportunity to make us strong in our lives. I mean, think about it. Let's think about it just in terms of running. I'm not a runner, and I will be glad to say I have absolutely no interest in running. I've never liked running, not in my whole life. When I was a kid, I could run up and down a basketball court all day long, but I had no interest in running uh, around a track or a, a cross-country course or anything like that. I hate running. Now, I have a treadmill at my house, and I'll get on it, and I'll walk kind of fast, and I might do some light running sometimes just to try to uh, stay in shape, but I have no interest in running. But if I were going to go out and decide that I was going to become a runner, I guarantee you in the beginning, it would be a struggle. I would run a, just a little ways and it would be a struggle for me and I'd want to stop and quit. But if I made myself keep running, then I'm going to let that struggle make me stronger. And this is what I want you to think about. We need to let the struggle of making sure that we don't let things weigh us down, things of the world weigh us down, and we, let, we need to, to let the struggle of making sure that we identify sin in our life that negates or contradicts our faith not weigh us down. We need to let that struggle make us stronger. We're going to have times when we, when we uh, win some battles and lose some battles in the struggle. But ultimately, we just need to keep fighting, keep working, until we win more battles than we lose and we allow it to make us stronger. Let the struggle of living a life of durable and enduring faith make you strong. Be serious about the dangers to your life of faith and attack them head on and let the struggle make you strong. Let me give you a third key. Write down, run with perseverance because it's always too soon to quit. And once again, we go back to the image of running a race that the Hebrew writer uses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I want to show you something really interesting about this verse, in particular the last part of the verse. In fact, I want you to go ahead and look at the last part of the verse. In my NIV Bible, it reads like this, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I want you to put your finger on, circle, underline, highlight, whatever you do, two words, and those are the words with perseverance. In the original language of the New Testament, the emphasis on this last part of verse 1, this last phrase, is on those two words with perseverance. In fact, this is how it would read from the original language if I were reading it in my NIV Bible. With perseverance. Let us run the race marked out for us. With perseverance, let us run the race marked out for us. And so when it comes to running, the emphasis is not on style, and the emphasis is not on speed. The emphasis is on perseverance. That's an important thing for us to remember as we think about having a durable faith. And we think about that uh, in the context of running a race, being durable as we run the race. I, I, I read a story this week about something that I was not familiar with before. It was something called an ultramarathon. There are races that are called ultramarathon races. Now, I was familiar with a marathon. That's a 
pretty significant race in and of itself. It's a race of, what is it, 26.2 miles. And we have some famous ones here in the United States, the New York Marathon, the Boston Marathon, for example. But I'd never heard of an ultra marathon, which is a race, note this, not of 26.2 miles, but a race of 573.7 miles. I can't even, my mind can't even fathom the possibility of a race that that's long. But here's the story I read. In 1983, Australia held its ultra marathon, which for them was a race from the city of Sydney to the city of Melbourne. This is a race that takes days to run and people, professional runners from all over the world will come to this kind of a race to participate. But in Australia in 1983, shortly before the ultra marathon race began, a 61-year-old sheep herder, a man named Cliff Young, listen to this, wearing overalls and galoshes, rubber galoshes over his work boots, walked up to the registration table and requested a number to enter the race. Well, the folks at the registration table thought he was joking, or it was a joke that somebody was playing a joke on them, setting them up, and so they just laughed. But Cliff Young persisted, and he said, no, I'd really like to run. Well, they thought it was still a joke, but they ended up giving him a number that he pinned on his overalls, his work clothes that he was wearing. He walked to the start of the race, and there were all the other runners, and they were professional runners. They were dressed in all the kinds of things that professional runners wear, including really um, uh, expensive running shoes. They thought he was crazy. People in the crowd began to laugh. They laughed even more when the gun went off and the race began because all the professional runners began and they, with their sculpted bodies and perfect strides, made their way out of the starting gate. But Cliff Young, he didn't even run like a runner. He ran with an awkward, goofy-looking shuffle. The people in the crowd continued to laugh and finally someone in the crowd yelled, get that old fool off the, off the track. But here's the deal, friends. Here's... Here's the let's cut to the chase. Five days, 14 hours, and four minutes later, at 1.25 in the morning, Cliff Young shuffled across the finish line of that 573.7 mile ultra marathon as the winner. He won the race. And he didn't win just by a nose with a guy who was in second place finishing right on his heels. He didn't even win just by a matter of minutes or even an hour or two, the second place runner was nine hours and 56 minutes behind Cliff Young. He had set a new world record for the ultra marathon. It was absolutely unbelievable. He became an instant hero in Australia. The press mobbed him. They wanted to know what kind of special running shoes he had, and he didn't have running shoes at all. They went through his backpack wondering what he had survived on, and they saw that he had lived primarily on pumpkin seeds and water. But then the ultimate discovery was made. The ultimate dis discovery was nobody had ever told Cliff Young that when you run the ultra marathon, you run for about 18 hours straight and then you stop and sleep for three or four hours and then you start running again. And so what Cliff Young did, and this is how he shuffled his way to victory, is he ran that race without ever sleeping. This 61 year old man ran for five days, 14 hours and four minutes. I think that is an absolutely incredible story, and I think that's a pretty inspirational story as well. Here's the application. The Christian life is not like a marathon. 
It's like an ultra marathon. And more than anything else, it requires perseverance. That's what we need to remember if we're gonna have durable faith in our lives and enduring and a lasting faith that survives the different challenges of life. So no matter what you might be dealing with in your life right now, no matter what your struggle might be, the one thing that I want you to remember when it comes to your life of faith, when it comes to developing a durable faith, is that it's always too soon to quit. Always. You've got to run this race with perseverance. Perseverance has got to be one of the strongest qualities and characteristics of your life if you're going to really live a life of faith that is pleasing to God, durable faith. It's always too soon to quit. My heart has been broken over the years as I've watched people walk away from their faith because a challenge or a trial or a loss or a question became something that they couldn't overcome. You know, I hear people sometimes talk about having a life verse. I don't really have a life verse, not one for my life. There's too many verses that I love, but I have a ministry verse. The month of May in 2020 marks 40 years of full-time vocational ministry service for me in the local church and here's my ministry verse it's Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 that says let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest and here's the key part friends if we do not give up if we do not give up well the life of faith that you and I have been called to live consists of one struggle after another. Let's just acknowledge that together today. It's made up of both victories and defeats, but no matter how many defeats we experience, we don't give up because when it comes to our lives of faith, they are so valuable and what we, what we receive in the end is so valuable that it's always too soon to quit. In fact, I would love it if you would write those words down, that phrase down somewhere, maybe in the margin of your Bible in Hebrews chapter 12 or in something uh, that you're going to hang on to. It's always too soon to quit. And you just hang on to that. Maybe reference that by writing Galatians 6, 9 next to it. Let me give you one final key to a durable faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And I'm a little short on time. I've gone a little bit longer probably than I normally do, so I'm going to be brief and I'm going to be simple with this final point. Really, we've spent those first three points talking about verse 1. Now we get to verse 2 of our text in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And while there are many, many things that I could say about this verse, I'm just going to focus my attention on one. When the Hebrew writer says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning his shame, he's saying that the priority of Jesus' life was to do the will of God. That was the priority of Jesus' life, no matter how much suffering, no matter how much pain, or no matter how much shame he had to experience. That was his ultimate goal. And because of that, that makes Jesus our ultimate example. We began by talking about remembering the example of men and women who have gone before us and that's so very important. But we end by remembering that as important as that is, Jesus is our ultimate example. Because no matter what we may have to suffer through or endure, 
in our lives of faith in this world, chances are it won't compare to what Jesus experienced. And Jesus was faithful to the very end. And you know what? This to me is just another reminder of why we love Jesus. There are so many reasons to love him, but one of them is because he never ever asks us to do anything that he has not already done. Jesus ran the race of faith. He endured to the end, and now he asks us to do the same. He calls on us to do the same, to run and to endure. And if we keep our eyes fixed on him, then we can do it. We can live a life of durable, enduring, long-lasting faith, regardless of what we might face. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. I want to close with a story that I read in Leadership Magazine some time ago. It's about a woman named Gladys Allward, who was a missionary to China more than 50 years ago. She ministered in the province of Yenchong, but a time came when she was forced to leave that province because of a Japanese invasion. She was forced to leave, but she couldn't leave her work behind. And so with only one assistant to help her, she led more than a hundred orphans over the mountains toward free China. In the book, The Hidden Price of Greatness, the authors tell a little bit of what that was like for Gladys. They write, during Gladys's harrowing journey out of war-torn Yenchong, she grappled with despair as never before. After passing a sleepless night, she faced the morning with no hope of reaching safety. A 13-year-old girl in the group reminded her of their much-loved story of Moses and the Israelites crossing over, or crossing through, rather, the Red Sea. And after the reminder, Gladys cried out in desperation, but I am not Moses. And the little girl responded by saying, of course you aren't. But then she added these words, but Jehovah is still God. You may not be Moses, but Jehovah is still God. And that reminds us that it's not about us when it comes to running this race of faith, when it comes to living a durable faith. It's not about us completely. It's about the God that we served. Ultimately, Gladys and the orphans made it to free China. And they proved that no matter how difficult the journey or the race, and no matter how inadequate we might feel along the way as we run, God is still God and we trust him. We're not Abraham. We're not, we're not Noah. We're not Jacob or Isaac or Joseph. We're not David, who's described as a man after God's own heart. We're not one of the bold and fearless prophets. We're not Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who faced incredible challenges. But Jehovah is still God. The same God that gave them the ability to withstand those challenges in their lives and demonstrate durable faith is the same God that's with us right now during this pandemic that's created so much disruption and so much so many questions and so much uncertainty about the future maybe it's not even that maybe for you it's a struggling marriage maybe it's for you it's a difficult family circumstance maybe for you it's fear about the future with regard to your job and finances income maybe it's some some 
personal emotional struggle or some battle with sin or addiction that you're dealing with, you don't have to worry about who you may not be as you think about the ability to overcome that. You just need to focus on the fact that Jehovah in your life is still God and he can still be counted on. He can be trusted in every difficult moment that comes along and he can help you he can help you live a life of durable faith. Do you have a blind spot in your life when it comes to faith? And what I mean by that is, do you have faith only when life is good? If that's the case, if you think that faith is only something that you have when everything falls into place and everything in life is good, then you won't be ready when the challenges and the trials and the losses come along. Don't have that blind spot. Decide today that you're going to embrace and live out a durable faith, that you're gonna run this race of faith until you cross the finish line, whenever that might be. And remember that God is always with you. It's not about who you are, it's about who he is. I want you to pray with me today. Father, thank you for a chance to talk about this durable faith, and I pray that you would help all of us to be willing to look at our lives of faith and to really put them under the microscope and examine the durability and the enduring uh, quality that our faith needs in order to withstand the different challenges and trials and struggles and losses of life. Help us to take these uh, truths, these keys, to having a durable faith to heart that we see here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through two. And as we run this race, as we pursue this life of faith, help us to remember that you will, regardless of what happened, what's happening around us or maybe what's happening in us, one thing will never change, and that is that you will always be God, always seated on the throne, and you will always be with us. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.